Got to be honest, I um, am thoroughly uncomfortable with putting numbers up at one side. On the other side, we have to be able to say God is incredibly good and celebrate what he has done. Because and, and, each of those people, I met Leonie tonight, first time tonight. It's wonderful to have you. God's writing a really cool story with you. And, and um, we, we celebrate the hundreds and we celebrate the ones in this amazing story that he has for us. And, and tonight, I know people are wondering, what is it? Why Vision Night? What does that mean? We're doing a number of things. We have been on a journey as an eldership and a, a slightly broader team around the eldership that I'll take you through. But tonight really is, what we do want to say is thank you. God has, there's a 14, 15-year-old story that he's written, that he's composed, that he's got his hands dirty and called Life Changes, and it's beautiful. And before I move on, I want to actually ask Wally to come up um, that... The honor continues, that it keeps continuing, that we keep telling the stories, we keep honoring God for His grace and His goodness in the story that He's been writing. And I just want to give Wally a few minutes just to say how the year has been for them. You've seen them out on, on a time of sabbatical, you've seen them out on ministry, and you've seen them go off to churches and minister. But I thought it'd be really good, as some of you have been around for many years and love and, and have so much gratitude to this amazing couple who are so vitally a part of this team, but just to hear their voice at this time as we start forging uh, the story and, and taking more and more ground for the king. Is that good, will you? you want to use that? Do you want to just... Thanks, Brett. Good evening, everybody. Good evening. It's really, really wonderful just to be here and to see all the cool things that God's doing. And to me, it's wonderfully exciting. I need to tell you one of the comical things that happened uh, after our sort of three-month, first three-month stint in Mauritius, where we had the first three months of sabbatical and went back to minister for three months, came into the church, started greeting, chatting to people, talking to people. And there's one particular gentleman that will remain nameless. I won't tell you what his wife's name is either. But he came up to me and says, oh, it's so cool to see you. Welcome. Haven't seen you around. Where have you been? So I said to him, I've just been away for a while. He looked at me like, backslidden? What's the matter with you? Where have you been? You know? And he sort of was just sharing with me all the cool things that had been happening in the church. And it's really wonderful to have gone and to come back and see some of the great things. As Mark said, we're not after numbers, but they do speak of God's goodness and God's grace. And to me, I think change is just a part of life that we need to embrace it or we end up in chains. And change is something that we need to begin to realize that everything around us externally and internally needs to be changing. It is changing. And I think change is going to be accelerated as the ends of the ages culminate. And just wanted to... Um, just share two or three thoughts with reference to change that I trust will be helpful. The nation of Israel, they were slaves in Egypt under Pharaoh for 430-odd years. And their cry to God was, get me out of here. And I think that's a lot of our cry, God, there must be more, what, Lord, help. And then God heard their cry and spoke to them and said, I'm going to deliver you from Pharaoh to Joshua, uh, sorry, to Moses, then to Joshua, and there was a leadership change. And you know, some of them struggled with that. 
There was a time in the wilderness where they said, let's go back to Egypt. Can I say, sadly, they died in the wilderness. I want to say, let's continually be open to change. There was a geographical change from Egypt to the promised land, but in between was the wilderness. Those that refused to change sadly died in the wilderness. And I want to encourage you, don't die in the wilderness. Continue to press on into the promised land, all that God has for you. Then there was an identity change that had to take place in their lives because they'd been slaves all their lives and God wanted them to embrace sonship in a fuller measure, in a fuller way. And I want to encourage you as we move on in God, let God change you from the inside out. Embrace, let Him change you from the inside out. And lastly, the change was a life change because they'd been so used to masters ruling over them, the law given to them, God wanted to introduce grace to them. And I want to say to you, I believe as the future comes and we move into it, we need to be open for more grace from heaven towards us and then grace towards one another in our whole journey of change and transformation. So I want to encourage you, we've got such a wonderful journey ahead. And I want to encourage you that Change is uncomfortable, but if we don't embrace it, we'll actually be sadly left behind and miss out on the adventure that God has in store for each and every one of us. And just looking at all those young people on the video and all that, to me it's so cool and so exciting. And we've got to stay open to the new that God has. Thank you, Mark. Um. Ollie and Shills, won't you guys stand? Can we, can we pray for them? Just, um, I'll keep saying it because people don't realize this doesn't happen a whole lot. And the more I meet with guys, the more surprised guys are that we still talk, that we're still friends, that um, he's still here, or I'm still here. Just being honest, in the church world, this doesn't happen. And, um, it's mostly because of this man's humility and um, their courage. And um, we've got to keep honoring this story. We're not honoring a man. We're honoring God's goodness to the area, to the city. It's not about a man and or a woman, a man or a woman. It's about Jesus and his goodness in giving good gifts to the church. So actually, won't you guys stand with me and can I join with me? Reach your hands out to them in this time. Why don't we gather around? Lord, just thank you for this amazing couple now. Thank you for gifts to your church, that you give good gifts, that you're a glorious Father who gives good gifts to your church. So we honor you tonight for this couple, honor you for their faith story, churches planted, leaders released, salvation all over the place, Lord, evidence of your grace. And we just pray that the the, the days ahead would be greater than the days past, that your favor would increase over their lives, that the effectiveness of the gift and the ministry that you've given to them would be increased, Lord. And that as a house, we are grateful for the gifts that you've given, the stories that have been told and and written. And we say, God, keep writing amazing stories. We thank you, King. Your grace and your favor on this amazing couple, Lord. Amen. Amen. So we we said Hopper 6 to Hopper 8 will be done by Hopper's date. But it's just... um, It's an exciting story to be a part of. Tonight, as many things, and like you saw, 
It's part one tonight. We are going to do it again next month. We, we won't be meeting as United and possibly in November as well. We just want to take time to make sure we process what's going on. I've been a part of church stories for a long time. And I've got to be honest, most of that church story is littered by meetings happening by a few behind walls, a plan of what and how getting delivered to the church, an in-faith church call to respond where they don't fully own it, can't take a hold of it, but we jump in. And we're saying we want to process with you what we've been going on with a group behind the scenes and taking us as God takes us a hold of our future. But part of where we start with that is celebrating the 15-year story. We have to celebrate. And if you've been here for three weeks, I want to tell you, or one week, or tonight's your first night, I want to tell you that this 15-year story is your story now. If you're saying, this is your home, this is the place you want to worship with, these are the people you want to partner with, and and get on this incredible story, then this 15-year story is your story. We take ownership of it, we celebrate it, that 15 years ago, a church was planted in Jenny Lane with Laurel, Carla, Wally and Schultz. And um, amazing other stories, building, this building paid off by faithful people. How many people were, when you moved in here, how many people in the church, Wally? 70 people. 70 people of faith. 70 people prepared to pay a price so we could sit comfortably and receive. 70 people prepared to go on a faith journey. 70 people prepared to partner with God and His plans. 70 people prepared to pay a price for a next generation. We meet in these times, and I want to ask you if there are people you know that are part of the story, gather them for next time. But we are meeting, we are gathering for a future generation. For those who aren't here yet, for those who, be they, they're not even born yet, or they're sitting in the pubs and the clubs of the city right now. It's for them. That He calls us. Many new faces and partners being part of the story. Two churches have been planted out of this. Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Two churches planted. Meeting in, the, in, in, in Jay Bay and Brackenfell. Many, if not hundreds, have been trained and discipled in and through the story. There have been many different initiatives that have impacted and brought from Red Week to all the different initiatives. We were unpacking those stages and other areas, storerooms in the building. We found the, the, the signs that were put on the wall from back just to reach out that have been handed on to another church as they've taken some of those signs. Some of you remember them, black signs with statements of letters from God to people. There's been transition. They've been, we've engaged God and worshipped Him with passion. There have been Life Kids and RCK, all these incredible stories. We've got to celebrate We've got to take moments. We've got to take encounters and keep thanking God for His goodness. If we're to look forward, we have to be able to honor the past, stand on the shoulders of those who've gone before, and throw ourselves into the future that He has for us. It's the way God works. So we say thank you. We say thank you to this, for this amazing story to Jesus. We say thank you to Him. It's His story. Passion for His name that wells up because He's that good. Say so thank you. Um, to you guys for the love for people. This is a, we're in the people business. And we laugh and we joke. And as a staff, we've got some who are better with people than others. And we joke and we laugh and we challenge each other. But, but we're in the people business. We love people. We love the broken. We love the lost. We love the rich, the arrogant, the proud. We love people. Because He loves people. I want to thank you for your openness to change. This last year, there's been some change. There's um, um, 
some of you have noticed, some of you hasn't. The vessels of His glory is off the wall. And what one very concerned person come up to me, said, have the glory left because the vessel's gone? <laughs> Just change. But on the whole, I've got to be honest and say this has been an incredible grace on the transition as we've changed and we trust that there's a, a grace that flows both ways, that there's grace in the story. And I want to thank you that those who are here tonight, that you've taken night out. We intentionally made this a weeknight. Can I be honest? We could have done this on a Sunday. But we said we wanted to meet with those who are, who are actually saying, this is our story. We're taking ownership of this story. We're going to gather. We're going to take on the discomfort of meeting in a weeknight and putting kids with people and all of that stuff because there's a great story here, a story that we get to be a part of with God. But thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your openness to change. I want to thank the leadership team. Deacon team, elders, just in this great story. Last week we told you it was a year. We got you. Next week, the 15th will be the one year since the handover. It's a great story. Guys are already phoning Wally and asking, how is it working? Are you okay? And they're expecting on the other side, it's chaos, it's brokenness. They're expecting that. Hey, Wally? And it's not that. And God's really good. But I do want to take time to thank you. I want to thank you for... The continuous time and energy and volunteers growing and, and all these things. Thank you for that time. Thank you for, I want to thank you for finances. I want to tell you that the general story in church transition and the normal story get told is actually new leaders come in. There's a lack of trust. There's all these things in the mix and finances will go down. You just got to buckle down and make your way through it. And as a team, you make sacrifices and you get to the other side. I want to thank you that in this church story, that haven't been the case. Actually, there's been increase. We've been able to give more. We've been able to, and we, we're striving to give more and more. We're trying to do more things. And we want to, even in this process, speak more openly around finances and feedback to you where the money gets spent, how it gets spent. No, there's a faith story in this. One salary didn't leave and another one joined. There was a whole new family that needed to be looked after in this story. And so there was faith and trust in God that God's going to write a really cool story. But He also takes the faith and trust in people. So I want to thank you for your support, your giving to God and, and, and being able to facilitate this. And I um, and, and just want to thank you as leaders that the word spoken to me was, Mark, as, as friends and leaders who've gone before, prepare you for the worst ball. You know that ball you just can't play. So they, they tell you, Mark, you know what? Transition is going to take three years. It's going to be hard. You're just going to have to buckle down, bite your teeth and suck it up. Some people are going to like you and a lot aren't going to like you. But I can honestly say at the end of a year that God's been very gracious in the process. And I don't want to move past into the new and the more without saying thank you to this group of people and those who aren't here tonight. Just thank you for your grace. Thank you for meals. Thank you for receiving different ways of communication, different ways of doing things. Thank you for being open. Thank you. Is that good? You got the message? We thank you. <laughs> and... Um, so tonight, we called it Vision Night. And I, as I've been processing this, we've, it's predominantly been focused on the church, but I think actually it's going to be a process as we go simultaneously through Nehemiah, which is a building vision book. It's a, it's a book about a man where God gifts his heart and calls him to something amazing. Take this process into your personal lives too. Ask some good questions. Take stock. We have spent in the last three or four months, the eldership team with about 10 other folk from within this team have just gathered and, and we've been through a process. And we, we called it a workshop where we, we started out 
intentionally celebrating the past, looking at the highs and the lows, being very honest about some of these things. And what we're trying to do in this process is say, actually, we don't want to just behind those doors come up with a strategy, put it up on a wall and say, buy into it, get involved because it's for Jesus. I think the days of communication and transparency are here. The ability to dialogue. So I'm asking, and all we're going to end up tonight, tonight is not some final picture that's going to go up that's pointing you, next month we'll get more clarity, but I want to spark conversation tonight. Good conversations, kingdom conversations, conversations that will take us forward. Is that all right? Are you comfortable with that? So some of the guys with the, 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 the bullet point, they, it's like we wanted our bullet point that told us. It's not tonight. We'll get there because, and the reason it's a vision process, because I think there does need to be clarity. We were honest as we spoke, my experience, and I don't think it's necessarily this church's experience, but it was a general experience within the NCMI group of churches, which we were a part of, that without that Dudley Daniels apostolic voice, many of the churches just kind of lost away for a while. Because the clarity of that apostolic voice that was the one voice we ran to bloom and we got, that thing went quiet, and then churches had to start grasping, well, actually, who are we? And we said, actually, it's a good question to ask all the time. Not just in chaos or crisis or a voice going silent. Who are we? Ongoingly asking, as a church, what are we called to carry? And there are many factors to that. They're the city we're in. Our city has different issues to other cities. You know that? There are different spirits at work. There are different things at work. There are different things holding the city down. And there are different opportunities for the city and for the gospel. So there's a context or reality into which we minister. We don't just preach what can be preached in India or South America. Yes, it's the gospel. Yes, it's Jesus. But it's very much into a context. All theology is contextual, I believe. You just look at the ministry of Paul. Wherever he went, he adapted, he changed. It's an amazing thing. So Habakkuk 2, verse 2 and 3, is a scripture that I was reminded of. And it says, And the Lord God answered me, Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. And I even know in this year, some of you are on the front foot and you're saying, Whoa, what's happening? There's got to be more change and what are we going to do? Some are like, jeez, it's coming. In God's appointed time, as we process and we honor each other in the process, there's this process of making it plain. I think there's a plainness to church reality. I sat with a man the other day who in, a, in an amazing church story in Durban. I watched that church unfold. I watched it grow. I watched them impact. I watched them go after. And as I sat with him, I realized there was a, a level of intentionality I've never seen in the corporate space and I've never seen in the church world. A level of this is what God has called me to. I can't get off whatever I'm doing because he's called me to this. And at times I've been quite judgmental of that, to be honest. But I think there's something that rises up when God grips a community and says, actually, these are the things, the lampstands that I want you to hold. This is it. It gives you a focus. It stops you getting distracted. I am so easily distracted, you've heard. I sit in my little office for hours. Today, I struggled. I had one of those days. I phoned Gabe. I said, Gabe, it's not coming out good. I'm struggling. I'm sitting there. I, I hear a noise. I think maybe it's Nathan. Van der Veer says, I open my window, there's Nathan with his skateboard and his pad and he's walking down the road. I'm just like, yes, go boy. 
because I'm so easily distracted. But without a burning vision, a God made it plain vision that together we can bind, together we can discuss, we can have the conversations. I've realized as I've spoken to people in many churches around, like, where are we going? What are we doing? People don't have answers. I think we need plain answers. When people walking off the streets, unsaved, saved, church, unchurched, whatever the story, we just say, actually, we're about worshiping Jesus' heart. We, we, we press and we believe He speaks still. That we, we clear about who we are. We, we believe He's called us, to get our, called us to get our hands dirty in these areas. And um, the Nehemiah story, I, I saw this quote from Benjamin Zendau, the conductor of the Boston Philharmonic Orchestra. He holds a whole bunch of things together. He says, goals can be energizing when you win, but a vision is more powerful than a goal. A vision is enlivening. It's spirit-giving. It's the guiding force behind all human endeavors. Vision is about shared energy, a sense of awe, a, sh- a sense of possibility. Even as we sing, what's that line in that song? All things are possible. That there's an awe to that. When we sing that line, is there still like a, all things are possible, God. And one day you speak to a guy whose marriage is in the bush, and the next day you speak to someone who comes alive, and in both scenarios you're going, God, all things are possible. And one day one couple falls pregnant, and the next day you meet someone who's struggling with falling pregnant, and go, God, all things are possible. Is there still a sense of awe in the story? And the Nehemiah story has captivated us. We're going to go into the journey, and I've shared some things with the leaders um, forum, but I want to share it with a broader forum here to make sure we all, that there's questions that pop out of Nehemiah. The first one he asks, Nehemiah comes in and he says, how are the people and how is the place? I think not just a leader's concern, a believer's concern, someone who's called, Nehemiah asks this question, how are the people and how is the place? Are you asking the question still, how are the people and how is the place? I think much of the church, as I engage and I've traveled and I've been a part, much of the church is very comfortable. There, there seems to be no crisis. I was staggered when I went to the American church. It's very ordered. It's very clean. It's very contained. It's very comfortable. There's no crisis. David Bosch, and I, I need to see if I can find this quote, but David Bosch, who wrote the book, um, The Mission of God, he made the statement, it is normal for Christians to live in a situation of crisis. It should never have been different. When we get comfortable, when, when there's no crisis, there's no urgency. That's why we need a good fire and brimstone preach every now and again to remind us. Not to fear people into heaven, but to remind the believers that heaven and hell are real. I've got to be honest and say I probably don't use the word hell and sin enough. I've got to take ownership of that. When I read the Bible, it speaks a lot about hell. I'm not trying to hear my heart. There's an urgency, there's a, there's a reality of crisis that's real. Not just because of ISIS and not just because we're seeing it in the news, but because people are walking further away from God. Because the church is no longer the standard of morality or, or life, or it's not the place necessarily people run to for life and healing and wholeness. We've got to create the space within us that disturbs some of the comfort that He calls us to these things. It starts with us as life changes, taking ownership of our story in our area, our city. So Nehemiah asks, and, and I love the clarity he carries on. He says, how do we respond to those reports? Nehemiah says he's deeply moved. 
We can't have a vision unless we are deeply moved by Jesus. You can't have a vision for your home group, for your life group, for, for your workspace, unless you are deeply moved by Jesus. For people. Not to put bums in seats. I hate numbers because it's not about that. And so much of the church is about that. I invited about 10 guys away two years ago with Gabe. He came from Cape Town before any of this was a possibility. We sat down for the first meal. It wasn't dinner, Gabe. We sat down for breakfast. We were together for three days, just pastors. Lunchtime, the second, I said, guys, if I hear another discussion about numbers, I promise you I'm going to go mad. We won't become those people. We won't people. Woman at Wells. Broken, lost, arrogant, proud, rich young rulers, all of them. We want them. So we've got to keep asking the questions. And then he says, he says, actually, praise God, actually give your servant success. It's the challenge of driving to an accident scene, driving past and going, thank you for keeping me safe, God. Is that enough? Or is there the compassion, the compelled by love, stopping and getting your hands dirty? And I know it's got risks and I know those things. But in life and in people's situations, where we meet the person at work and they, they, say, they, they drop the hint of the dire need and they say, I'm broken, my marriage is in the mess. And we go, flip, you know what, I'll pray for you. So I just got a deadline. God's calling us to something and it's very clear. And what rocks my world about this Nehemiah story is the challenge and the opposition comes and they keep coming back and they keep calling him down because they want to entrap him into something. And he fights back with this line. He says, I am doing a great work. I can't come down. Why should the work come to a standstill just so I can come down to see you? I love that intentionality. So in this process, as we as a church ask for that intentionality, can I ask you in your life, is there a measure of that intentionality God wants to bring alive again? Because I think there's a grace on us. It's time to go to war, war again. It's time to build the war again. Wall again. It's time to pick up the prophecies again. It's time to lay hands on the sick again. It's time to extend ourselves again, reach out again. It's time to open our homes again. It's time to open our kitchens and our fridges again. It's time to make meals for those who've just had children and, and are walking through brokenness again. So we've been on this journey and we've been asking a few questions, accessing where we've been. And you've heard me say it and I'm going to say it again. I, I think much of where we are and, and the best leadership today is the leadership that can get the better questions. That we ask questions, we process through God, and we just get to better questions. I'm not talking about doctrinal truth and the fact that Jesus lived and He died. I'm not talking about those truths. I'm talking about the processing of the, the ability to do life, to do theology. It's going to be part of that course. Is how do we do theology? How do we do theology around the lesbian, gay, homosexual, bisexual issue? In our city and in our nation and in a world that is captivated by this issue. How do we do theology? Or are we going to remain quoting one line of scripture out of context often and into a world in a vacuum saying we find? Or are we going to embrace theology? The word of God. And let the word of God come of us shaping and forming us. Does that make sense? I know it's a hot topic right now. That's why we've got to talk about it. That's why we've got to get the right questions and go to the Word 
find freedom for people, freedom for ourselves, and walk forward. So there's this, this thinker, uh, Simon Sinek. Maybe we can pop that slide up, Tyler. And he just presents this thing. So I'm, I'm talking to you a little bit. So if you've been part of the, the process with us, please forgive us. We're just taking the community on a journey with us. But I want to take you on the process in which we've engaged and we felt helpful to engage. One of them is we said tonight, all we're doing is we're looking at the why. This guy, Simon Sinek, is a modern-day thinker. He says, actually, best corporations are those that can answer the why. See, I can call you to give because we're going to give to the poor and, I, and, and, and we can use a, a hundred ways and descriptions to say why we're going to do that, what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. Maybe because we package it so well, you'll want to be a part of that story. But I would rather give you the why. Jesus answered the why. For God so loved the world. There's a big why there. Love. Paul, compelled by love. 2 Corinthians. There's a big why in the story. So we've got to ask questions. Why do we do church the way we do? Behind the scenes, we're asking questions. Why do we spend the, the money that's given in the way we do? Are there better ways to spend it in God because of the why? We're asking, we asked questions in this process. Why are the highs? Why are the lows in our history? It's just a good question. We can't, we're so quick to jump to the how and the what. You know that? Let's just, what are we going to do? How are we going to do it? What are we going to do? How are we going to do it? And you take people on a journey, you get to the end, they don't know why they're there. Yeah, Jesus. Yes, John 3.16, all that stuff. We know all that. But it's just, I'm just explaining to the process. I want to bring you up to speed. And over these three months, we're going to journey. And I trust at the end of these three months, you as an individual will be able to engage anyone on the streets of your workplace. And they say, what are you on about? You will succinctly and clearly be able to make plain to them something of a vision of who we are. And there's a big gospel story. I'm not trying to narrow it. Now we've got our own little niche. We're trying to cut out our niche. No, we're not trying to cut out our niche. We're just trying to have, make plain who we are. When we say we are a spiritful people, why do we say that? What do we believe truly? If, if I asked five people here to stand up and tell me what that means, you'll get five different responses. I think there's something of a clarity that has to come. In a world that is very confused around religion, very confused around what the church is, and a church that seemed to be very confused. Just take some of the issues, the hot topics in the world. This is a bit heavy. I feel like we've gone from... I, I just... There's, there's, like a, there's like a weightiness on me in this process. This is not a clever idea. We've taken time. We're taking time. We're listening to different voices. We're saying, it can't just be my vision. Oh yeah, but Mark, it's your job. You're the visionary elder. You come. Yeah, okay. That's partly true. But we're going to do this thing together. So we ask the question, and I ask you the question, is there, is there still a dream? Like Nehemiah, is there a dream? Is there a dream in your heart for Cape Town? Is there a dream in Tabu? Are you living for one day, one day when you'll move to Hermanus? You're probably not going to count today. Can I be honest? One day when, and if you are moving to a monastery, be free. And if you told me that, I wasn't even thinking about you. But, um, but one, day when, one day when I'll have my big house, I'm going to store up my things so I can get to my biggest, and then I'm going to count for Jesus. Just, there's no point having a vision if it can't be exploded by the love of God. And we can't live lives compelled to something bigger. 
Is there still a dream that's louder and brighter than the dreams you've had before? And the things we've settled on. See, Stan touched on it. There are two haunting scriptures for the church. They get put aside. The first one is Genesis 1. Be fruitful and multiply. Then the, the world gets sorted and we have the Noah story. And God says it again and Noah sends it to his sons. Be fruitful and multiply. It is still the word to us today as the church. There is a multiplying call on the church. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. We don't just get the great love, we get the Great Commission. It's the package deal. The church is a mission, a movement, sorry. Because we can sit and wallow in His love, but we're actually a movement. We call to make disciples. We call to baptize them like we did on Sunday and let the world know. Those pictures I go on all the time. I've been onto Facebook the whole time, just sitting on those pictures, looking again and again. Because that's what we call to do. That's who we are. You want to know who we are? That's it. Giving people opportunities to see Jesus. It's very cool. And then there's the questions that flow out of that. Is the dream still worth it? Is it worth fighting for? And so there's, we're in this journey, as you know, in transition. Maybe you can pop up that life cycle slide, Tyler, and we're going to talk about it quickly. We've shown this as the leadership forum before, but, but we just, in every life cycle of organization, church, whatever it is, there's processes, and we came to a process, and there's a time to kick on. And it takes redefining, redevelopment, and rebirthing. God's doing that with us. He's doing that, and He's not doing it through me. He's doing it because He's committed this community to us, within us. He's going to add some voices to us that are going to challenge. He's going to add some different styles, some different worship leaders, some different preaching voices. Whatever He's going to do, He's going to challenge us. He's going to change us demographically. Thank you, Jesus. Because He wants us to go on a redefining, redeveloping, rebirthing process so He can kick us on from glory to glory. Glory to glory is not just a mantra in the church. Glory to glory is a promise. From a good father, a great king who dreamed up the church and said, I want to take you on. So my challenge is this story, your story. And let's go. Let's have, I'm, not, I'm not trying to pump you up tonight. I'm, not trying to, I'm just saying there's a big story. The gospel is a big story. The gospel is a big story. Sorry to pick on you again, Leonie. You're a big story. Honestly. When we stop seeing the one, we miss the big story. God is, and, and, and this gospel is such a big story. And then there's the statement that, that we, we engaged as we chatted through. It said, good is the enemy of great. You know what? We've been a great church at times. And we're doing so much well. This building is beautiful. The lives that are coming is beautiful. But there's got to be the disturbed crisis within us. There's got to be more all the time. Yeah. It's the nature of the gospel. There's got to be more. There's got to be more of God, more encounters. There's got to be more miracles. There's got to be more people just walking and falling on their knees, deliverance happening and healing happening overnight without processing or, or inner healing, which is great and will be a part of the story. But there's got to be more. There's got to be more radical encounters. There's got to be more. There's got to be more stories of God elevating men from ruins on the street to profile. There's got to be more stories of broken situations, marriages, business, whatever they are. God, there's got to be more. That's the crisis that burns. It's, it's, it's part of living in the now but not yet. Kingdom dynamic. It comes with a confused reality. And what rises up is if 
that, that there's this challenge of where we've been before. God wants to, you know that old thing that um, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results? It's the truth. It's the truth. Our city is changing. We have challenges. There are less and less people who are actually even open to church. There are more and more people who are very much closed to church. There are more and more pre- people on internet and blogs slamming the church. Do you ever watch News 24? Whenever religious or, or anything to do with Christianity come up, read the comments and be challenged and realize we're in crisis. I read them intentionally because it disturbs my little peaceful zone that I build for myself. And I come back to the place, God, this kingdom story is a movement. It's, it's a violent movement. There's a reality to us taking a hold of. And what happens is he calls us to, to vision, which settles us on a course. I want to call us. Imagine as a church, we said in these areas, God's going to call. We're going to do it big and we're going to do it large. And we're not trying to be Hillsong. We're not trying to be this. We're not trying to be something else. They're areas that God's called them to. And we've got to say, God, what is it he's called us to? What is the flavor he's put in us? What did he put in us with leadership through years and years and years? Some who've been here before, some who are still here. What is it? And vision calls out, and I love vision. I think when I look at Nehemiah, he calls people to leave their farms, to come and pack dirt and bags and build up walls. Why? Because vision evokes passion. It evokes passion. He calls vision and vows, it's motivation. I don't want to have to get up on Sunday and motivate church. I want to show people Jesus and let Jesus motivate them. Because they're so passionate for their name that they are motivated to preach the gospel. And we so rest quick on strategies. Do this and do this. And if you just do this this week, and if you just bring one mate and, two, and, and the church will double. It's not about that. Get captivated by Jesus. That stuff happens. It's just, it just happens. Vision translates into a purpose. It gives direction. And so I've jumped through a whole bunch of things, and, I, and I'm, I'm trying to honor the time. But I would ask that you have conversations around four areas this month. Just conversations. I'm not giving you the answers to the conversations. Next month, we're going to give you our best attempt at where we are in those conversations. But there are four things that have repeatedly come up. Four things that we're saying, these seem to be things that we are. And we call to, or we aren't yet, but we call to more. And the one is obvious and clear. The first one is a passion for God, His presence, His power, the reality of God and Jesus' life. Without that, we are nothing. We're a social group with an identity issue. We revolve around Jesus, His presence, who He is. So we worship Him hard and we, we create moments for people to engage God and we take them into deeper and we engage, we spend time with people. And when we get together, we don't just flippantly do life, we engage Him and we show them people Jesus. That's who we are. That's not going to change. That's not going away. But then there were these other three things that as we discussed in a smaller group, we said these are things that have been disturbing. These are things when we began to dream of what church could be. These are some of those things. And I would like you to have discussions around these. The first one is the unchurched. And I spoke about it a couple of weeks ago. But the reality is in the younger generation, there are more and more unchurched. Those who've never walked in the door, when they see something on the web that looks like a baptism, that just looks like a public drowning to them. They don't get it. 
And so the, the job becomes harder, but we need to grow in our compelled by loveness to say, actually, as a church, how far are we prepared in our individual capacities and in our communal capacity as a community to bend and break so we can see them saved? You know what I'd love to do with us in, the, this, in relation to this point? I'd love to put us all in a bus on a Saturday night at one in the morning and take us downtown to the clubs of the city. And I think as offended as you might be by some of their ways, they are equally offended as they walk into our environments. Yes, church, but also when we get together in coffee shops and we speak like we're stuck in AD 200 or something like that. Just being honest. I've got to be honest. When I look at Facebook, I think so many Christians think there are no unchristians on Facebook. I think if they thought about the fact that there are still unchristians on Facebook, they might not post what they're posting. Just putting that out there. I actually really like Facebook. I know I'm getting a bad rap for hating Facebook. I don't hate Facebook. It's for the glory of God. (laughs) So the first conversation is loving God, making God central, keep worshiping, pouring in His presence. The second conversation is the unchurched. That without a crisis, we're unaware that they're actually people. He came for people. He didn't come for people to come and sit and keep singing the same songs over again. It's a conversation. Please have it. Write it down if you need to. Put it on your cell phone and have the conversation. And, I, and even in this next month, walk into church. Walk, look on Facebook. Go into your coffee meetings with Christian buddies or, or out there and have this lens. Jesus went after the lost. Paul said, I'll become anything so they could get saved. A prisoner, a slave, I'll become anything. Just, it'll challenge us. The, sec- the third one is discipleship. That many visitors, that many people coming, that many people saying, I need a life group, I need someone to walk this road with me, make disciples. And the question and the challenge is, are you a multiplier? I know someone else would do it. It's Mark's job to disciple from the pulpit. The pulpit's not a discipling vehicle. I've said that myself. I disciple from the pulpit to try to pull myself away and isolate myself because I got so tired from being hurt and disappointed and dropped as I gave and I gave myself trying to learn this thing. And I realized it doesn't change. It'll never change. Discipleship is a touch and feel and engage and a real. One of the greatest discipling moments of my life, I got out preach, I was praying for people and my brother walked up to me and said, have a gum, your breath stinks. You only know that if you're close. Discipleship, it's a conversation. It's a conversation. And the last conversation, and one that we really, we got to go to the Word. I need you to go to the Word. I need you to go into the Bible. Don't read blogs. Don't get caught up in emotion. The last one is social justice. And the reason it's so important is because, like I said, all theology is contextual. We don't live in Switzerland. We don't. We don't live in first world where there there are medical for everyone. We live in Africa, right at the bottom. That's where we live. And the gospel is outworked contextually always. And this next generation that are coming through, they're looking for the authentic church. And the authentic church to them looks like the church that's prepared to get its hands dirty in the world around it. Not hide behind its walls and make its walls higher and bigger. And I've failed in this regard. I've had fits and spurts. I've tried and I've pulled back. I've initiated and I've dropped out. I'm just saying these are the conversation points in this vision process.
to remind you a passion for God, the unchurched, discipleship, and social justice. So I would ask as you go away in this week, this month, and we're going to engage at the beginning of next month, have these conversations. Have them in your own head a lot. Have them with your Bible a lot. Have them with your friends. And maybe have them with those around you who aren't in church. See what they think. And I want to just remind you, it's time to go to war again. It's time to build the wall again. Wall again. It's time to prophesy again. It's time to take risks again in God. It's time to dream again. It's time to sing songs again. It's time to lay hands on the sick again. It's time. This is a moment. that I believe this is a grace moment on us as a community. Rise up. Some of you are sitting on gifting. You're sitting on years of experience. You're sitting on things that God's saying, would you let me ignite that and let it burn for my glory? I'm asking you, answer that call. Don't answer my call. Can I pray for us? Jesus, we are humbled by your love. We're captivated by your beauty. We are compelled by the spirit that you put inside of us, God. We say yes and amen to, to your dreams, your purposes, your promises tonight. As a community, we say, God, our arms and our hearts and our heads and our attitudes and our thoughts are open wide to you. Lord, I thank you for every person here. I thank you for every person who calls this church home, those who weren't able to make it here tonight. Thank you for the children in the back room. Thank you for those who aren't here yet. We say, God, have your way. Lead us, show us, guide us. Put courage inside of us. And the enemy would say, who is life changers? What good could come from Tableview? What? And we say, Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We love you, Jesus. Burn a flame, burn a desire, burn a passion in us again today. We honor you, King. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for taking time out. The best way you could honor this moment is by having those conversations. Bless you. We'll see you again for part two. Please invite others. We're going to start engaging the how and the what next time once we've got through this.